Welcome, listeners, to Out of the Box with your host, Jonathan Russo. The previous two episodes have featured Jim Stuber, author, attorney, former legislative aide, and entrepreneur. The episodes focused on America's relationship with China and hopefully outlined a who, what, when discussion of how China became such a dominant force in American lives and global ones. We talked about China's entry into the World Trade Organization and its policies and subsequent actions. We touched upon the impact China had on deindustrialization and the human cost of that. This episode, however, is going to try and answer one core question. What role did China and our other trade agreements play in the rise of Donald Trump and his supporters, or whatever you want to call them? How did the Rust Belt states of Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, and also Pennsylvania flip from Obama to Trump, bypassing Hillary Clinton? I've written several articles, read nearly a thousand more, and have read about a dozen books on this phenomenon, because I think it's critical in understanding the rise of the Trump GOP. Jim, let's start by hearing your big picture thoughts here. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, first, let's start with that list of states, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. So I want you to know that that all resonates with me. And I think I have some understanding of this because my family worked in the steel mills in Pittsburgh and Ohio and were the ordinary Americans who were voting in those states. And what was happening is that in those states, you had ordinary Americans and their families experiencing what none of the academics or the global corporate people were admitting. And that was that we were destroying their lives, their families and their communities by closing their steel mills and their factories and sending them to China and other such places. So that's where we start. That's the big picture. Look at this is that people in our universities and within the Beltway Some of them were really true believers that this was going to be a win-win, but uh, the people on the ground, the people living their everyday lives, knew this wasn't a win-win, and they knew that this was a terrible problem. So there was that problem. There were those voters ready to be tapped into by anyone who could see what was happening. Okay. Well, what I find interesting is Obama ran in those states, and, and nationally, obviously, on the slogan, hope and change. And that was the graphic. And those were the two words, hope and change. So he's offering hope and he's offering change. And I think in the eight years to those states and to countless other places where the deindustrialization took place, the C&D counties of America, the people who relied on factory work and assembly work to make a living saw no hope and they certainly saw no change. And if they saw any change, it was change for the worse. More factories moved out, more places packed up to Mexico, more places shipped jobs to China. So the hope and the change didn't happen. And Hillary was more of the same in their mind, and they wanted something big to change and big to happen. But it's more than that to me. This is where I'm going on this. I think that because the progression of the American workforce, where you could get a decent job, you could support a family, you could raise your children in dignity, disappeared. It made people crazy. It made them so crazy that they've turned into not Republicans, because I don't think Trump is a Republican. I don't think he's a Republican in the least bit. He's an anarchist. His blow-it-up friend, Steve Bannon, ran on a blow-it-up campaign. They didn't run on a platform of traditional GOP policies. I've written an article, going to be published, called From Golf Clubs to Pitchforks, The Rise of the Trump GOP. And I have followed this for a long time now. I believe that the deindustrialization, and it isn't just China, and we can't blame China, 
because they did what they were supposed to do. They decided that they were going to turn you know America into a a consumer society and they were going to manufacture everything. We let them do that. I think we've made these people completely miserable. Well, I, yes, there's there's a lot to that. I mean, this started uh, with Japan and, yes. and to some extent Germany. So if we go back to the 1970s and the early 1980s, you know, this is when towns like Pittsburgh and Bethlehem right. were really feeling it. They were being destroyed. They were being sold out by these theories. And, you know, both parties were doing it. And so it's hard to underestimate the pain that that, that caused and the yeah. seeds that that was planting. And so we might pick up the story in 2010 with the rise of the Tea Party. But I do think that for a couple of decades, it was in the making. I do, too. I think it was deeply in the making. And I really do believe it was the blocking of the progression of the normal American dream. So if you look at how that dream got blocked and it, you couldn't advance materially and men were no longer the breadwinners, their wives often made as much, if not more than they did mm -hmm. uh, for, because their factory jobs that paid, you know, 30, 40, $50 an hour just all disappeared and they took service jobs and small jobs in retail or if they worked at all. And we talked about this in the other episodes about the opioid crisis, the alcohol crisis, the suicide crisis, that, that it was inflicted on these counties and these states. When that's blocked, you don't have a big pie anymore. And that allows you to become angry and hateful of others. And that's where the racism of Trump came in. His, his anti-immigration stance and his characterization of Mexicans as, you know, rapists and not good people and all the other stuff that he did. That's believable in the context of, I don't have a pathway towards a decent life anymore. Somebody's taking that away from me. And Trump did focus on China. He really did. I mean, he you got it. He came out swinging completely against what the big money GOP had always believed, which was like, let's back, you know, China, because that's profitable to our wealthy donors, it's profitable to wealthy corporations, it's profitable to wealthy retailers. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of worked for wealthy people. The China trade worked for wealthy people, just didn't yeah. work for working class people. So that's why I always say Trump has nothing to do with the GOP. Well, yeah, I mean, those are what some people call the country club Republicans. That's correct. And that's, that's where the golf clubs that I'm talking about, golf right. clubs to pitchforks. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, you know, it was bad enough. I mean, if, if only the 70s and 80s had happened, it would have been disastrous. Right. But then, you know, in 1994, we did the World Trade Organization and NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement with Mexico, and uh, Ross Perot's giant sucking sound actually happened. Yes, it did. So here we are, 1994-95, and then worse than that, like an order of magnitude worse, in 2001, we uh, gave... China permanent trade relations and let them into the World Trade Organization. And then it just became off the charts that what we were sending now to China. And that's what, uh, you know, Trump was tapping into. Clyde Pesterowitz has really written a good book called The World Turned Upside Down about the U.S.-China relationship, you know, where he just lays out in, in brilliant, you know, scientific terms, the facts and figures behind how we went from being this number one economy on in the globe to being a trade deficit nation and having China manufacture, you know, 90% of everything you could buy in a, in a retail store in, you know, in, in mid-America and the policies and the procedures behind that. But the human cost of that and the anger, the sense of abandonment of the American dream is to me where Trump and Steve Bannon so aptly 
saw and played to that to that anger and that fury, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not in a traditional Republican way, not with a real policy, not with real smarts, not with white papers, mm-hmm. with anarchistic anger. And I, that is really where you saw January 6th ultimate manifestation. You saw it in Charlottesville before. But he really called upon his supporters, followers, cultists, whatever you want to call them, in my opinion, to let that anger vent, to have that fury vent. Certainly Banyan did. I mean, have you ever listened to his podcasts or listened to what he's had to say over the last, you know, the last five or six years? It's full of fury and apocalyptic imagery. That started with American carnage at, at, at Trump's inaugural presidential address. I mean, this is not Republican or GOP policy. It may be now, but it wasn't then. Where did that come from? The core of it came from the deindustrialization of China, much the same way that the anger in the Weimar Republic came from the shit trade deal and peace deal that the Versailles Treaty stuck on the Germans. Mm-hmm. And there was a man that said, we're going to fix that. We all know his name. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question in my mind that the similarity is is identical, and we did this to ourselves. And I think there's there's two dimensions to it, Jonathan. One is at the policy level. And so Trump was really tapping into a very valid concern that that you've just been describing. So in his campaign, he tapped Dan D'Amico as kind of his chief trade advisor, the the former president of Newcore Steel. And then they identified Peter Navarro. I know. A, a, you know, a minor professor out in California, but who had written a book called Death by China. And made a movie. Yeah, and the movie. Jim, then, I, uh, Jim, I wrote, when he did, when Trump did that, just so you know, in the New York Observer, I wrote an article about Navarro's appointment saying, you know, China's quaking in its boots because Peter Navarro has been appointed. I couldn't agree with you more. I've been aware of the rise of Navarro, who now is going off the deep end in my mind, but that doesn't, that that's now. Yes, well, you Trump, know, and it's funny that you say that because it makes the point I was just about to make, and that is, so on the one hand, we had very valid policy concerns. And the actions that Trump was taking at, at, at Navarro's uh, suggestion, like you know, slapping these tariffs on on the Chinese goods, um, they were all more than defensible. You know, they they were actually the the proper thing to do. But then, as you said, it, it wasn't just that. Even you know, all of Trump's rhetoric has this uh, this emotionalism to it. Uh, this angry, uh, the, you know, he's always using words like vicious, and it's very bellicose. It's it's uh, reminds me of nothing more than maybe George Wallace. I'm trying to think yeah. of American politicians who sp- spoke in the manner that Donald Trump does, and so his rallies were always uh, designed to draw out this righteous anger on the part of his supporters, and so I think that he laid on top of. You know, if we're talking about the our policies vis-a-vis China, which were, were, were probably very smart, he was layering this this emotion on top of that, and by doing that, he transformed his supporters into something else. He really transformed them into this angry mob, who were ready to believe the big lie that the election was stolen. Right. Okay. That's what I think, too. And if you you mentioned earlier the Tea Party, okay, the Tea Party was a relatively um, uh, normal offshoot of the GOP, small taxes, small government, less uh, less government, uh, less intrusion of the government into our lives. The Tea Party had a, you know, 
a traditional GOP formula uh, in my mind. This, this, and but it's been eclipsed. There is no Tea Party anymore. Nobody's the word hasn't even been mentioned in the last you know two or three years that I can see anywhere. What's what's come now is a hatred of government. Period. End of story. That's anarchism. A real sense that all government has failed at all levels. That it needs to be quote blown up. How many times did a reporter from uh, you know a, the, the elite media uh, on the coast go to you know some diner in in the midwest and report back in you know the the elite media that the diners in there who were voting for trump wanted to quote blow it up how many times did you read that i read it a hundred times if not more <laughs> blow it up blow it up blow it up what did anarchists do when they wanted to get rid of the czar they threw a bomb under his coach they try to blow it up anarchists believe that they, that whatever is happens afterwards is better than what happens now that's what the deep state represented to these people to, it represented a permanent bureaucracy that needed to be eliminated because it was the source of all evil i mean is anybody really listening to trump and banyan because they have nothing to do with what the republican party a party of laws or governments or you know supreme court justices it's of course amusing that you know he does he's so stupid Jim, that he doesn't understand where the Federalists are, which is another whole topic we can mm-hmm. discuss. So when he, he gets these Supreme Court rulings that, that laugh at his idiotic uh, appeals to the Supreme Court, he doesn't understand why they didn't back him, you know, because he appointed them. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't have a clue what the Federal Society is, stands for, what strict constitutional interpretation is. He was told to do something by, you know, Leo, whatever his name is, at the Federal Society, and he did it because he's so stupid. But... The, but moving, well, I, I think he thought he was he was buying some people. To yeah, that. that's you know, what he one thinks. It's all transaction. Is loyalty. Yeah. Well, he thinks everything's a transaction. I do this for you. You should do that for me. Right. You know, he doesn't have an understanding of whether these people actually went to law school. You know, they actually have colleagues that that want to read these opinions, whether you like them or not. They they're real opinions. Okay. This is the essence of what I keep getting at: is that we let this happen to ourselves. And this is the we're reaping the whirlwind right now. The Democrats are reaping the whirlwind. The Republicans are reaping the whirlwind. They don't recognize their own party. Marjorie Taylor Greene has nothing to do with the Republican Party. Ron Johnson isn't a isn't a Republican. Mo Brooks isn't a Republican. I mean, these people are really out there anarchists. The way that the the way that Kotkin or whatever his name was, you know, in Russia in 1914, uh, in my mind. And I think it's all because of the deindustrialization, uh, not just China, but the, the entire deindustrialization has made people crazy. Um, and you know, we have to figure we have to figure out how to put that back in the box. And I'm not sure exactly how to do it myself. Yes, well, I think that it is doable. And I know you do, and I, I do. <laughs> I, you know, as you know, uh, I think that American consumers can play a big part in it. But you know, there's a lot of policy involved here. And it's, I think what I would suggest, Jonathan, is that it would be so good if our people with the, their hands on the levers of power could understand what you're seeing right now, could understand, you know, the, 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 the source, the taproot of all of this was this loss of the American dream, this loss of the American family, the loss. And, you know, I had the wonderful opportunity when I was writing my book, I was in the Penn Library, which is an open stack library. And I said, well, where did, where did that uh, saying the American dream come from? And I was able to go up on the shelf and pull the, the one volume history of the United States that James Thrustlow Adams had written 
And toward the end of it, he described what he called the American dream, which had two parts. One was that every man or woman could be all he could be. Mm-hmm. And the second part was that the future would be better than the present, exactly. that our children would have a better life than we do. And this is the first generation of Americans who, whose children don't have a better life. And so when you've, ta- when you've taken that away, so then now I- you're at the heart of the matter. And when people look around their town at the boarded up stores, uh, you're, you know, you're, at, you're, you're at the heart of the matter. And gosh, I wish we could keep our eye on that because it's so disappointing seeing uh, the vacillation that comes out of the Biden administration on these issues. You know, they've just made a terrible decision on on solar and they just it is this back and forth. I mean, they they did they make that solar decision? Did they? Yes. Really, and it went they? the wrong way. They said, oh, oh no, we're, we're not going to keep these tariffs on the two sided uh, solar pan- oh. panels. Uh, so um, and then the Trump administration had said, uh, we are not going to recognize other countries products the same as our own under this World Trade Organization uh, purchasing agreement that we're a part of. We're, we're not going to buy by that and we're going to go for American made products with respect to pharmaceuticals and medicines because they're so important. Darn if the Biden administration didn't didn't reverse that. So you see this. The, uh, this terrible vacillation on these issues. And I think, again, uh, it would be really helpful if they could remember the effects of those actions on these Ameri- ordinary Americans living in Reading, Pennsylvania. Okay, that's all true. But now we have a, a plan to we'll build back better. We would like to build our infrastructure back. Our bridges are falling apart. Our roadways are filled with potholes. Our, you know, in, our electric, electric grid is, is, is in disarray. We have a we have third world or close to a third world infrastructure in the United States. Mm-hmm. There is a plan to rebuild that. There is a desire to rebuild it. Not one single Republican is going to go along with that rebuilding America plan. They don't really well, they want to did. Do it. Now, remember, no? now that bill passed. Oh, that, the first one. The first one passed. But, okay. but right. remember this, too, that uh, right. it, this makes your point. That now uh, any of those Republicans who voted uh, yeah. for that are persona non grata. You know they're yeah. they're the enemy now because they voted for an infrastructure bill that where exactly. we need those things and it, and it shows how this anarchistic uh, dimension to all of this that we're not going to be for anything. You know that is exactly right. That's yeah, anything that the government does. We're not going to be for anything that the government does. That's yeah. right. Unless the government decides, to, of local town decides to give away a couple billion dollars in tax breaks to a sports stadium, then all of a sudden everybody's, you know, interested in, you know, in the in the government. But that's another story. It's funny, you know. I always think I'm an Eisen. I've always said I might be an Eisenhower, uh, an Eisenhower Democrat. You know, the man built the interstate. Mm-hmm. transportation system he built the roads he, he he rebuilt the american infrastructure and he sent the troops to little rock to enforce anti-segregation laws that the mm-hmm. that were that came out of the supreme court what a man what, yeah what a, and, no, and, and he sent me to school what a man besides you know the other thing that came out of that era was the national defense student loan program right and i was able to borrow some money uh you know i had grants but i had to borrow some money at three percent right. you can pay it back at three percent right right Okay, so we're, so we're we're both in agreement here that 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 we've created a shall we say a um, bunch of unhappy people with who are justified in their unhappiness because their lives are really not getting any better, um, and they don't really see a path toward in either party towards this, and so they've turned to uh, basically. Um, somebody who doesn't really have a, a, a clue of what a Republican or a Democrat is supposed to be and is, has his own agenda and his own his own cult, if you will. Everybody keeps talking about this, but it seems to be true. 
Um, and that's what I think is going on, but I don't yes, understand you know, the what's, what scares me perhaps more than that is that that group that you've been describing are not the only ones that are the members of the Trump cult. And what really scares me is the uh, well-educated, I'm talking Ivy-educated, successful, church-going men and women that I know who are following the Trump Pied Piper. That's an and easy one, Jim. When you have that broad of an appeal. Th that's an uh, easy one. They want the tax breaks. I, Jim, they, they, Jim, I, I look at their people. Facebook posts, and, and I don't think that's all there is to it. Really? Oh, I yeah. think that they've been sucked in by you know, this, this cultural thing. And I don't know what all. Trump's very, very clever at, at pulling people like that into his orbit. But they're, they're in there. This is not just our, uh, our, our blue-collar friends. I guess, and I suppose another dimension to this, too, is we have to remember that it wasn't just the blue-collar jobs that went away. So you and I were talking about the, uh, the Pfizer pharmaceutical, I think it was yes. Pfizer, but the yep. pharmaceutical uh, research and development lab in Connecticut that got sent to China. In London, yeah. And... Uh, so, and then of course, uh, IT work goes to India. And so you can spend 15 years getting a PhD in pharmaceutical research and, and be told, or in, in, uh, internet technology. And, and then you'd be told on Friday, don't bother to coming in on Monday because we sent it to China or to India or somebody we're importing from there is yes. going to start doing it on Monday. So you also have a, another broad swath Correct. of upper middle class people who got hurt by these crazy policies. That's true, but it seems those people are able to find new jobs. America is so inventive and so entrepreneurial that there's there's so many new internet companies. I don't know anybody, frankly, who has any kind of a coding technological background that doesn't have more than one job offer on their desk, who knows how to use, you know, uh, use the internet, use use technology in any way. I mean, those people really aren't lacking right now. There, there may have been periods where there was some some difficulty getting getting a job, but not now, I don't Maybe think. Maybe so, but I think in pharma, it's, it's a problem. Okay, pharma, I, I'm not familiar with pharma. I don't doubt that. I, I that I, I won't, I have no, I have no idea. Yes, yeah. that, that, it works its way up the chain. We discussed, like, if the factory goes away, you don't need the engineers to supervise the factory. So yeah, you know, use that whole engineering experience. class, you know, exactly that, 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 that supervised, you know, that supervised the factory. So is it possible? I know that you're working hard through, through your writing of your book and, 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 and your, 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 the business you're trying to create and your lobbying efforts and all the things that you do to, to focus back on American manufacturing. And now there's this, the announcement yesterday that, you know, Intel is going to build a $20 billion plant or something in uh, Ohio. Um, you know, do we have the workforce for this? I mean, now people can't even find somebody to rake their rake their leaves or mow their lawn. I mean, who's going to show up at a factory job now? I mean, it seems like there's nobody nobody wants to work, or nobody there aren't enough people to work. What's what, what's really going on here now because of well, COVID? Well, yeah, part of that is the COVID problem, but then the other is that for decades now we have told everybody they need to go to college, and we have we have uh, downplayed the idea of making anything. And, and so I think that in, in large part, our lack of manufacturing workers has been a result of that, that cultural attitude that we have fostered. And I hope, and I know there are efforts underway now to elevate you know, the idea that, that doing that sort of thing is, is honorable, yeah. uh, respectable work and that yeah, in your book, it, what if everything was made in America again, which I reviewed, you know, in Worth 
magazine worth.com um that what came out over and over again in 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 the in the book that um people have to like accept the fact that everybody has to go to college and be a gender studies major you know that we actually <laughs> could actually could like train technicians and train people for real skills in the real world that don't require you know an expensive four year college education and other countries do that very successfully and like germany and 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 other european countries have long apprenticeship programs where people know that they're going to have a really solid job at the end of it i mean i think i read somewhere that they can't find like about 200,000 welders or it doesn't matter th- tens of thousands of welding jobs are open they cannot find these people but that's their own fault. They never trained them. They never, you know, as a recession comes along and America says, oh, everybody, you're all fired. Sorry, we have a down quarter. We got to show earnings to Wall Street. Just just pack up your bags and leave because we don't need you. And then, you know, when the, re- when the recovery comes, you know, the, uh, nine months later or a year and a half later, because the Fed pumps some more money into the economy, what does everybody do? It goes, oh, my God, we don't have any workers. We, don't, we can't find anybody to do the job. Well, you just lay those people off about a year ago, you know. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the case, too? We don't. Yes, do, yes do, it do, is. And also, as you said. In the head. Yeah, that, that is the case. And you've, as you mentioned, these companies also don't invest in the training here. You know, in Germany, that's a big part of what they do. You know, companies believe that they it's in their interest to develop these workers. And only now we're starting to catch on to the idea that perhaps these companies should be working with their community colleges and yeah. and spending some money on developing the workforce that they need. Okay, the electorate. Um, wh- wh- where does this go with uh, w- with the rise of Donald Trump and, and the elect? Let's get back to the topic at hand: the electorate. Where, where, where? What's wh- what's going to happen in the next uh, the next congressional election? We're going to elect a uh, uh, you know a majority of anarchists in the in the House of Representatives. I know, like every lunatic in their in their grandmother is now you know trying to win the primary, going to Mar-a-Lago to 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 out Trump Trump and you know make themselves appealing to the uh, to the to the uh, primary voters in, in the Republican. Republican Party. Uh, I mean, we could have we could have an entire Congress of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Mo Brooks and and uh, Ron Johnson. And you know, wh- where is that? Where is that going to lead us? Where, what's going to happen there? It sounds like uh, it sounds like if you if you were a Russian and you or you were a Chinese and you wanted to destroy America, it sounds like you know you'd back these people with all the pack money you could possibly get them. You know, for sure they'll tear the whole place apart. <laughs> I know it's uh, it's scary. You have to. It could keep you awake at night. It um, keeps me awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, that is certainly going on. I do see signs of hope here and there where, um, you know, the Trump-backed primary candidate doesn't win or or is getting a lot of support from someplace else. Uh, I saw an article a day yeah. or so ago that the redistricting that everybody feared would yeah. really be going in the Republican direction looks like it's going to turn out to be more of a draw or maybe even a few few more seats going to the Democrats. So, yeah. you know, there was a sign of hope that, uh, you know, against the landslide. But on the other hand, we are fighting the historical trend of the uh, president's party losing in the first election, you know, the off election. Sure. And that's hard to avoid. Um, so I'm... You know, I don't know, Jonathan. I'm. It, do you, I, do you, I don't see anything. Produc- I don't see anything productive coming out of it. I mean, that's what I. That's, I don't see any real policies to fix anything coming out of it. Do you? I just see anger and 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 rage and you know fury at the deep state and and more culture wars and more anger at uh, at at uh, uh, racism. You know, anti-racist attempts or book bannings. I mean, I I just see. I don't see anybody really 
standing up and saying, you know, this is a policy. Look at the trade deficit. It's it's larger now than it's ever been. And that is not Biden's fault. Everything was ordered, you know, a long time ago under the Trump administration. The China-U.S. trade deficit has reached an all-time high. Yes. I mean, and due to consumer demand. Right? Yeah, we had due all this, consumer, yeah, due to consumer so demand. So this is a place where there is some little sign of hope because, I mean, yes, you have the bow bears and the Mar- and the Taylor Greens out there that are just, you know, total whack jobs. But you have some other uh, folks who have done some terrible things uh, like uh, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, but who are uh, united with the Democrats uh, about China. Okay. And, and so what has happened uh, just today is the House passed its version of the China competition bill. So last June, mm. uh, Chuck Schumer had decided that we really needed to stand up a bill that would, uh, you know, put some some uh, money into, uh, you know, making our own chips and you know, basically adopting some of the kind of industrial policy that, that China's been using to the, you know, to their great advantage. And a very big, you know, fat bill passed the Senate with Republican support. And now it has just passed the House. And so um, even if in these off elections, um, they're not going to all be anarchists and you're going to have some people doing policy. And I think that the one place that uh, we're going to be seeing some action is, is, uh, you know, standing up to China. And so um, Republicans who were uh, uh, religious free traders would say, okay, that may be fine, you know, for some countries, but we're not going to do that with China. And so, and China's the big problem right now. So I could see that uh, no matter what happens in the, in the off elections, I do have hope that uh, s- some strong uh, policies in, in support, kind of a, to use Trump's term, America first policies vis-a-vis China mm-hmm. are likely to prevail no matter, you know, no matter how the elections turn out. That's an interesting thing, and then you to support that. Didn't the um, didn't the Congress and Biden sign the uh, Uyghur Protection Act? You know, didn't, yes. they, they, didn't they? I mean that was a, that was yep. led bipartisan legislation that came out of the House, the Senate, and and the presidential signature. That it does seem the only thing uniting. Um, you know, you know, well, that it's like a war, isn't it? I mean, they, it what, is. was, what, yeah. what, what do they say about you know, there are no anarchists, there are no atheists in a foxhole. I guess uh, right. there are no, no anarchists when it comes to you know, foreign when it comes to trade policy at this point right. or something. Everybody yeah. recognizes that this is the core issue, you know, in 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 America right now. Um, right, but on the other hand, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, totally wonderful. Uh, there are still is it's a lot of globalist sentiment. Yes, uh, a lot of uh, big multinational companies with with. Well, that make a big campaign contributions that are still at work in, in all of this. Uh, an issue that I'm working on right now is that Congress in 2016 increased the size of the purchase one can make without paying duties and with no meaningful inspection to $800. And so uh, those things are coming in on FedEx and UPS and through the Postal Service and they're full of counterfeits. They're full of unsafe products. Uh, Amazing. And they, uh, but and they're also uh, unfairly competing against those who in, uh, bring a container in to Los Angeles and pay duty on it. Amazing. You know, through through the usual channels. <laughs> so uh, and that's there are people you know we're fighting that and people uh, you know think oh no no we got to keep that you know some of these well of course FedEx and UPS companies like that. Sure, right. 
Amazon, uh, Amazon, Walmart, you know, so it's not as unified against as China as I would like. No, we, it, it couldn't possibly be. They're going to dangle every um, incentive to, they can to to continue their their policies. Um, and, you know, really, I don't blame them. I mean, I, 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 I would like to give like a funny analogy, which would be like if I went to uh, Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas and I found out that um, on the third floor, some of the um, some of the the uh, casino machines uh, could respond to like a kick in the kick in the, the base and, and throw out all the quarters. Would I stop? Would I go up there and kick the thing? And especially if I found out that the casino knew that I was doing this and they didn't care. I mean, that's how I look at what China did. I mean, it's like they we let them do this. It, it, it was 100 percent open eyes. There was no secret to what they were doing. You could see the factories going there. You could see the Walmart every week. You could see Walmart had another China product to the point where it was 98 percent of every single thing bought at Walmart or Kmart was made in China. I mean, it wasn't like this was hidden from anybody. They took advantage of what we let them take advantage of. And the same thing with the Mexico and the NAFTA agreement. So sure. you can't blame them for for the for for any of this we they did what we did look you know there used to be thousands of small manufacturers of of soda in mexico or in in, in the philippines they're all gone it's all coca-cola or pepsico sure. i mean we put out a business you know hundreds of thousands of, 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 of businesses all over the world you know with ford being and gm being global brands it's not like this is something that hasn't been done before in, in global history we've done it it was it's their turn to do it to us now problem was we didn't do anything about it and we let the base suffer so as we've discussed over and over again mm -hmm. and this has turned into the in my mind the anarchist mob that is ready to sack rome i mean they're, they're just you know they're, they're ready to blow it up they, they that's they're armed a lot of them are armed we're finding that they're they're seriously armed you know they're there we're finding that they were they're trained we're finding that they're, they're that they have a military background this wasn't just some sort of random you know uh, event this was a a, a coordinated assault um, on on America, which they hoped would you know result in you know their government, which which is ill-defined. But that's the nature of anarchy. It's always ill-defined what comes next. They don't care. They whatever comes next is better. And that incentive, and that mob, and that anger was what Trump tapped into and continues to trap in to tap into today. Mm -hmm. In my mm -hmm. opinion, I, I can't disagree with that. I really Thank can't. You. Wow, that's 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 pretty good. Okay, then if you can't disagree with that, let's <laughs> let's let's end this 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 uh, lovely podcast that we're in agreement. Um, and uh, Jim, tell us about your book one more time so that listeners can 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 obtain it and understand how much thought you've put into this and effort and intelligence. Um, you know, I I've been fascinated by it, but you've really done the legwork. So, you know, and then I want to tell the listeners about another book that that's really really smart about this called This United Nations: The Scramble for Power in an Ungoverned World by Peter Zeitin. It's really smart, especially when it comes to China and the American uh, equation. It's very optimistic that uh, they're gonna they're going to uh, you know blow their blow shoot their wad and and have a, a serious uh, economic collapse coming up. And he's he's basically guaranteeing it, but you have a solution how we can help ourselves and what book is that what's your solution it's called what if things were made in america again and in it i, I go on a journey that i invite our readers to tag along with me on uh, asking what in the world happened here why why did we start making some everything somewhere else uh, especially china and then the second question i asked and answered was how much harm did that cause and the third uh, question is what can be done about it and uh, my book has this happy last chapter that says, 
wait a minute, we consumers could really solve this problem if we're 70% of the economy and we could you know, just change mm-hmm. some of our buying decisions. So it's uh, what I like, I think, that uh, diff- you know, makes the book different from others is uh, there are a lot of policy recommendations, infrastructure, so on, but I, I have an actionable recommendation that you and I can go out and do today. And, and I do. Feel that we're, we're just not I pawns, you know, that we can yeah. really make a difference. So it's called, What If Things Were Made in America Again? Uh, and it's uh, available on Amazon. It's available uh, at miaa.us for Made in America Again, miaa.us, if anyone wants to come and check it out and, and the work we're doing to turn this whole thing around. Thank you, Jim Stuber. Really appreciate it. And thanks for a very insightful, lively discussion. Speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at ootbwithjrusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, ootbwithjrusso. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.